Let's give thanks for the uh, gift this evening. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give, Lord. Thank you for uh, you providing every day for us, Lord. There is nothing in this life uh, that you don't uh, promise to give to us, every rich blessing, and the, the clearest demonstration of that is your Son. Lord, give us hearts that are generous to keep uh, having a kingdom vision, Lord, to, to see uh, the gospel go out in massive and uh, glorious ways to praise you and honor you as we give, Lord. And we pray that you would be the center of our affections. Lord, as we come to your word, would you please uh, glorify yourself? Show us your glory, Lord. We're, um, we're expectant to see you tonight, Lord, in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God's word comes to us from the book of Exodus. So I encourage you to turn in your Bibles, chapter 33. Exodus is very early in the Bible. It's the second book in the Old Testament. And the sermon is verses 1 through 6, and then verses 12 to 23. Uh, Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 to 6, and then verses 12 to 23. This is God's holy word. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. And I'll refer to the next verses um, but let's skip down to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I will know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, this is Moses now speaking to the Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you've spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, please show me your glory. And the Lord said to him, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's ask for God's blessing on his word. 
Lord, we uh, want to see your glory. As Moses has just asked, Lord, as your people, we are dependent on your presence and your favor, Lord. So we ask, Holy Spirit, would you please do what you promised to do, Lord? Open our hearts and drive your word deeply into our hearts, Lord, that our full and exclusive desire would be Christ and him crucified and resurrected. And Lord, that this would change us and transform us. Father, we are dependent on you tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder if you have ever been expectant of being able to change in a particular way. Maybe you set a New Year's resolution and three weeks in you realized it wasn't going to happen. Um, maybe you made promises and commitments in a relationship and then realized that it was not something that you would be able to accomplish in yourself. You've seen the limits of your own promises and your own commitments. You want to be more than you are, but you see that you fall short again. See, we'll see a dilemma in our passage this evening. Um, we're called in the Bible to taste and to see the glory of God. We're told in the New Testament that it's actually by seeing the light of the glory of Jesus that we are transformed, that by coming to God and into his presence, he actually has the power to change us. It's by a vision of God uh, that we are transformed. But the problem, of course, is also that we are sinful as we come into God's presence, as we'll consider this evening, that there's a distance, there's a chasm in and of ourselves that has to be bridged, that we long to be perfected, to finally gain perfect acceptance with God, to be everything that God calls us to be, and yet until we enter into glory, we will not be that perfect person that we desire to be. C.S. Lewis wrote in what I think is one of the best things um, it's called the weight of glory, that all of our lives are a pursuit to enter into a presence. He describes it like knocking on a door all the days of our life, waiting for that door to be opened. This is what he writes. The sense that in the universe we're treated as strangers, the longing to be acknowledged, to meet with some response, to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and reality. Glory means good report with God. Acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. See, you and I were made for the glory of God to actually see that glory and be drawn into the very presence of God. And yet it's not safe to do that directly. It has to be mediated, and we'll see that God has provided a way for that. I'll refer to some passages in the New Testament. The main text will be Exodus 33, but I want us to see three things this evening as we come to our text tonight. The privilege of God's presence, and second, the danger of God's presence, and then third, how we're covered and invited into the awesome presence of God. So first, the privilege of God's presence, the danger in God's presence, and then how the Lord covers and invites you this evening into his awesome 
presence. Well, a bit of the context for this passage will help you as you remember the story of Israel. If you're a kid, you remember that God was powerful over Egypt, that God's people were unable to save themselves, and so God starts striking at Pharaoh and the Egyptians with plagues, you remember, and slowly chips away. And finally, Pharaoh, who at the beginning had said, who is the Lord, is uh, overcome, and he sends out Israel uh, through the Red See, and the point of all of that was that Pharaoh and the Egyptians would see God's glory, God's glory as a king, as powerful, and as a judge. And God brings his people like a young bride that he's going to marry. He brings his people out to a mountain, Mount Sinai. And he says, because I've done all of this for you, because of the glory of what I've accomplished for you, now I want you to live a particular way. And you remember the sadness of the story, right? God has done this spectacular saving thing to bring his people through the death of a baptism, the New Testament calls it, through the Red Sea. And as they're still receiving the laws on Mount Sinai, they are already blowing it. They're cheating on their relationship with the Lord. They're abandoning and betraying the commitment to the Lord who said, I want you to live faithfully with me. They're bowing before a golden calf. And you remember the way that they build this calf. They take off all their jewelry. They hand it to Aaron. And when Aaron is excusing himself, you remember he says to Moses, I just put this in the fire and behold, what popped out was this golden calf. I just needed to do something for this people. You know how they are. And so as chapter 33 opens... We understand both God's awesome glory and his wonder in saving a people, in marrying a people in a certain sense at Mount Sinai, but already the hard-heartedness of God's people. And we see right at the beginning of our text that God's people need his presence. We see the saving and the awesome privilege of God's presence. In verses 1 through 3, God says to Moses, go out, go into the land. So now he's sending them toward the promised land, the land I swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. He's going to drive out peoples and he's going to send them into a land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to provide for them in many ways. He's going to protect them on the way. He'll clear out the land. Just one small problem. I myself am not going to go with you. Verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. It's a devastating announcement that comes to the people, and you notice how devastating it is because of how they respond. Verse 4, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. See, the very things that they had used to create this false image, the ornaments, the jewelry, They now strip off, and they stand before an awesome and terrifying God. They no longer have uh, something that they can protect themselves with, that they can deck themselves out with in terms of jewelry. And it says all the way to Mount Horeb, they had uh, stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Um, The people of God stand in the awesome, privileged presence of God, no longer wearing this jewelry that, in some sense, stood before them. You know that this story has been told already, right? Adam and Eve have done precisely what Israel did 
coming out of Egypt. They receive the commandment, and immediately they hear the voice of Satan whispering to them that they could also be like gods, and they forsake God's word, and they turn against him. And then they stand in a garden, naked and ashamed, stripped of everything that would have covered them in the awesome and terrifying presence of God. But the camera moves from this wide-angle lens of all of Israel in the awesome presence of God, stripped of their jewelry, and then focuses down now to just Moses and the Lord. Notice verse 12 and going on. Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know who you will send with me. And Moses makes three requests in these verses 12 and following He says first that he wants to know the Lord's ways. Show me the way that you act. Show me what demonstrates your character, the way that you are. Show yourself to me. Show me your ways, verse 13. And God responds, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then he responds, Moses, back to him, second, if you don't bring us up, there's nothing special about us. You remember, the only thing that set Israel apart in the midst of all the other nations is that they had a God who would go with them, who was covenanted to them. You remember in Deuteronomy 7, the Lord says, it's not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you, for you were the fewest of all the people, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your father's. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so far, so good. Moses has asked for the thing that was lacking for the Israelites as they come off the mountain. Lord, we won't go up without you. You're the only thing that sets us apart. And in some sense, the story could end here if you think about it. Uh, we could close the door and it could, you could see the Lord moving forward. But notice that Moses makes this third unexpected request. Notice what he says in verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. It's a spectacular request. Uh, Moses has a very intimate relationship with the Lord. It says in verses Uh, 7 through 11, that there was this special tent of meeting where Moses would go and he would speak with the Lord as one speaks with a friend. If you've had a really, really close friend that you can go out with and with other people, you have to be kind of guarded and protected and cautious. And you don't say everything because you're careful and scared of what people will think. Maybe with your friend, you completely open up and you say everything to them. And Moses is like this, it says, with the Lord. He's able to speak as one speaks with his friend, literally mouth to mouth or face to face. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses. But even Moses is wanting to come into the heart of things and say, Lord, it's not enough for you even to go with us as your people. I want to see you. I want to see your glory. Moses knows the spectacular privilege of both God's presence and his glory. But there's an enormous problem that the passage sets in front of us as well. And I skipped over it quickly, and this is our second point, the danger of God's presence. I read over it quickly. 
Notice the danger of standing in the presence of an awesome and glorious God. Verse 3 again. I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. The origin of that word to consume is connected to fire and to, to burn in uh, an awesome kind of um, consuming hot, hot fire. And sometimes we forget that God is awesome and glorious and holy. We come to church, we do things that are Christian, um, and we forget the, the nature of the awesomeness of the glory of God. God says about himself in the book of Job, I am not like you um, to Job and to his friends. He compares himself to this enormous sea creature and says, put a, f- a fish hook in me, try to control me, you won't be able to. There's nobody like the Lord. I'm not like a bird that you tame and play with, he says in Job 41. I'm not like an animal that you can carry on a leash. The Lord is awesome and terrifying, and we cannot control him. I remember um, as I was getting used to this first season of the winter, coming through the winter this first month, that I was enjoying learning how to build a fire in my little uh, indoor a stove that we have to, to warm up the house and I was building small pieces of wood and then I made the mistake of putting a piece of wood that was like this long and I just didn't have experience to know you shouldn't do that so the fire is really really hot and suddenly that long piece of wood of which I cannot close the door around it bursts into flame it's like five in the morning I'm up early and the smoke alarm starts to be pounding in the house and there's smoke just billowing and I remember for a moment I was thinking I have totally blown it. I am in the presence of something awesome and glorious, and I cannot overcome this fire. Uh, it is going to, to burn me down and burn the house down. Um, this is what it is like to know the real awesome glory of God. He is not someone that we can tame, that we can um, control and make do what we want him to do. Um, he is glorious and he's awesome. Uh, There's another uh, wonderful um, story um, called The Wind and the Willows. I'd encourage you uh, to read it, and I'll just read a little section of it. It's an adventure story where two animals are uh, seeking this presence, and they suddenly stumble upon this spectacular presence. All this he saw for one moment, breathless and intense, vivid on the morning sky, and still as he looked, he lived, and still as he lived, he wondered. Rat, he found breath to whisper, shaking, Are you afraid? Afraid, murmured the rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, yes, yes, O mole, I am afraid. Then the two animals crouching to the earth bowed their heads and did worship. When you fall before, when you bow before the triune God, you are in the presence of an awesome and glorious and mighty God. And you and I are all like Israel in the sense of being stiff-necked by nature. Your tendency to stray from God, to turn against God, to have this stiff neck that this text talks about, has not changed. All have sinned and fall short, therefore, of God's glory. I mean, think about Moses in this passage. Moses is described as one of the most remarkable intercessors in all of the history of redemption. It says that he speaks in this really special way with the Lord. And yet still, notice, it is not safe for Moses to look directly into the presence and live. 
God says, there's a place where you shall stand on the rock while my glory passes by. I will cover you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face you will not see. And I just want to ask as we close then, as we ask ourselves, well, how can we enjoy the awesome, glorious presence of God? How can we face this and actually be changed and transformed by God's glory? What has God done for us to actually look into the glory of God and be drawn into the heart of things to find genuine acceptance and transformation? transformation? Well, I want us to consider that last, that we're covered from the dangerous and awesome glory of God's presence See, the dilemma that Israel needed God to go with them, to protect them on the way, and yet that they were also threatened in some sense by God's presence hasn't changed for us. Uh, It it is not uh, that there's a different God in the new covenant, but God, because he knew that we could not drag ourselves up into heaven and walk up the ladder of glory to enter in, God himself had to come down. God the Son who enjoyed the perfect privilege and presence at the right hand of the Father, who always delighted in the Father's presence, takes on flesh, as John 1 says. The Word became flesh, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only one from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so as we read in the transfiguration story, this word who becomes flesh takes disciples up on a mountain and is transfigured awesomely before them. And they're so struck by what's happening that they're terrified. They don't even know what to do in the presence of Jesus. And Philip says to Jesus in the farewell discourse, I just want to ask one thing of you, Jesus. Show us the Father. And then that will be enough for me. And you remember, Jesus is frustrated at that moment with Philip and says, Philip, have I been with you so long? Don't you see that when you were looking at this person, this human being, the word who had taken on flesh, you were looking at the Father. You were seeing the one who was so dangerous to look at, who said, no one can look into my face and live. And again, you have to ask yourself, how did these disciples walk in the presence of this awesome and glorious God and not be consumed? And the answer is that some Greeks came and said to some of Jesus' disciples, we would see Jesus. And then there's a turn in the Gospel of John. And Jesus says, now is the time for the Son to be glorified. And I, when I am lifted up, will bring all men to myself. See, the glory of God demonstrated and shown to us as Christians in the new covenant is not most clearly seen in the moment of transfiguration that we read about. It's not in the moment of brilliance and seeming awesome power in this world. The brilliant glory of God is shown to you on a cross as Jesus is abandoned and forsaken by his Father as he cries out in fulfillment of Psalm 22. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You are looking into the very glory of God. And Paul can say to you, we with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed by one degree of glory to another. It's actually by gazing into this horrible crucifixion that you are actually enabled to be transformed and changed. And Jesus says to you, this is the manner that you will be accepted and drawn in to the heart of things. See, it's because of our sins, because of your sins and mine, that Jesus had to be forsaken, that Jesus had to be turned away from. It's because God's glory is so awesome and terrifying that Christ had to face all of that for you. And he promises to you, as you anchor yourself to that crucified Messiah, he will never turn his face away from you. He will never abandon you. As you turn in repentance and faith and you walk humbly before this crucified Lord, God says to you, this is the location of how I will change my people. See, the glory of God answers your crushing disappointment as you come aware of your sin over and over again and you see, I am not the person that I wanted to be. God says, look here. Look at my crucified son. Here I will change you. Here you will see my face and here you will not be consumed. And then on one day, it says that we will see the son glorified at the right hand of the father. And when we see him, it says, we will finally be like him. So rest in that glory, the glory of Jesus that has been crucified for you. And then as Lewis put it in the weight of glory, the door that has been not, you have been knocking at all of your life will one day open and you will be brought into the eternal favor of your Father, never to see your sin, never to be rejected, uh, to be wondrously known and wondrously loved. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, by nature, we love uh, direct victories. Uh, we like to be changed uh, instantaneously and by our own means. And this is the location, Lord, of how you want to change us, that we would see your favor, Lord, that we would be transformed um, by a crucified Messiah. And Lord, as you have been raised on a cross, you are drawing all people to yourself. And Lord, this is an amazing gospel that we cling to, Lord, that we wake up with in the mornings, that we go to bed with at nights, Lord. Um, we need this Jesus, uh, who was all of the splendor of the Father in human bodily form. And Holy Spirit, we ask, Lord, that there, there's people this evening just grieving the overwhelming sense that they are not enough, Lord. That they cannot face you um, in their failures and in their sins, Lord. I just pray that, that your holiness, yes, but also your mysterious and merciful love would overwhelm us tonight, Lord, as we are drawn into your presence, Father. We need you for this, and we need the cross tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, as we close. I'm sorry, only a holy God. Let's stand and sing.
bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his face upon you and give you peace. Amen. Let's sing as we close.